everybody, and welcome to episode 22 of Drop the Needle in the Haystack, a podcast where we use the Forgotify website to take a listen to tracks on Spotify that have, until this point, never been played. And guess what, everyone? It's season two. That's right, we're back. We had our hiatus, but now season two. Get ready for all new twists, all new turns, all new characters and bits. It's gonna be so great. Uh, I'm Robbie, and I'm joined, as always, by Eric and Matt. Hello, everyone. I'm bringing new energy to the podcast. <laughs> That's right. Season two, which we arbitrarily decided because, I, I don't know. It's episode 22. Because it's episode number it 22. That's right. We're keeping within the spirit yeah. of... Come of, on, Matt. Within the spirit of two with uh, season the season two premiere. So to start us off, uh, we're going to go with one of my selections. This is um, This was an interesting find. I wasn't really sure what to make of it but i uh, i was finally able to to do some digging on the internet but anyway so this this track is called reason and love period and i do believe that the next bit is in i wouldn't even have a good guess at the language i'm not even going to attempt to guess it because i'm just going to come across ignorant and i don't even want to try to say it but this is called reason and love it's by sufi moon the artist sufi moon from the album Sufi Moon, and I'm just gonna not say too much about it. I'm gonna try and just let the music do all the speaking, and we're gonna have two examples. So first here at uh, 1:30. Take it away, Eric. <laughs> so so that was our first excerpt and i think before we really get talking about the music i want us to hear one more excerpt starting at the 850 mark and this is drastically different from what we just heard of you playing guess that instrument at home this is a group comprised of uh low horn instruments and uh singers and that percussion instrument that you heard there towards the end that's called the tabla which is uh i believe an indian instrument in origin but it's kind of made its way and and developed through the region so this one um I just want to know, Eric and uh, Robbie, what did you guys think when I first tried tried showing this to you? Uh, well, my first thought is, I well, I think Eric said it's like, ah, oh, it sounds like we're at sea. Lots of uh, horn calls, and, and it's very kind of meditative. And I was trying to figure out what the low instrument was, especially as it got into some of that multiphonic stuff. Um, but that's what was sort of my first impression. It's very meditative music. Yeah, um, we didn't play the very beginning, but it opens with just that trombone sound, right? And it's a stable pitch, and it almost sounds like a a boat call, right? Sounds like a ship. What like are those called? Foghorn from foghorn. a distance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 
distant. And so I thought it was like trying to set the scene for something that would might be nautical themed. Uh, you know, that's that's what you always attempt. think, Eric. I think this <laughs> yeah. one's going to be nautical themed, you guys. Nautical themed like a New England bathroom. <laughs> that's Eric's yeah, I was, thing. Uh, I was ready for Are You Ready, Kids? And then the SpongeBob <laughs> uh, theme song to break out, but it didn't It didn't happen. What we got was so much better. Um, yeah, so I was very taken aback when the trombone slowly morphed into not anything crazy right away but you know more than one pitch using some some of their slide abilities to kind of move between pitches go up and down and then this absolutely enthralling voice enters um and it totally took me aback and like the way this piece progresses over the course of its almost what like 15 minutes is uh is pretty crazy it takes so many twists and turns and each part is cool and you know it it blends each part together you know well it's it's hard to oftentimes it's very hard to make transitions in music that are so stark but i feel like this group handles it very well you know and and always keeps the flow and the mood and and uh the spirit the same despite the acoustic differences yeah i agree this this track stood out to me um from the rest of the album because first uh the length it's definitely the longest track on the album but it handles itself very like new music-y very very much like a new music concept album or like a large cyclical work with multiple movements so i was really confused when i was trying to look this group up because i was like the artist is just called sufi moon i was almost expecting like you know composer uh, ensemble name and then the name of the album and then you know each track right and um, if you look at the track list there's the, the tracks are very descriptive in their titles. So eventually I was able to find not much about the group, but instead an album review. So let me just go to that really and read some of the information about this, this from this album review. So Sufi Moon is a fusion of, and I hope I'm not saying this wrong, Kawali music and Alphorns, composed of three Swiss jazz musicians and two Pakistani Kawalis. So this was a group that kind of came together to perform at something called the Sufi Soul World Music Festival in Lahore, Pakistan. And it features these, yeah, these Swiss uh, musicians, specifically Jean-Jacques Hedredi and Robert Morgenthaler on the trombone, which we heard. And then apparently also some Alphorn, didgeridoo, and even conch shells. And that percussion instrument, the tabla, is being played by Balu Khan. And the singers, which we didn't, get uh, too much of in these clips are Anna Griechting and Sher Miandad Khan. This is just a very interesting blending of like not only musical cultures, but like, you know, different, I apparently they sing in different languages and just very different musical instruments. Like, I don't think I've ever heard like a uh, super contemporary trombone with tabla before. Like, what about you guys? No, I don't think so. But there is something that's... Uh, hey, Robbie, Robbie, what? we have heard that. Do you not remember uh, the 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 thing the orchestra did at Miami every year? The oh, Indian well, fusion thing. Right. It was like the whole thing. It was like the whole thing for our undergrad is well, that we had these blendings of classical music and yeah, because it's a uh, tabla is what and traditional Indian drum, but you know Pakistan is so close in the region that you know you might as I think they pretty much did they ever have a tabla though when we were there. 
Yeah, we definitely had a tablet. Oh, they did. Well, then never mind. I I guess we totally have. But I was thank you for contradicting me, Eric. But there was uh something. That's why we have them on the show, folks. Uh, there was there is something about just the I don't know the the very low timbres and the just percussion that kind of sound just the sort of that's like elemental. Something about it is like you know, and I guess maybe that's why it shows up. In, in or I feel like it shows up a lot in these sort of meditative or, or, or religious musics where it's like something about just rhythm and low kinds of instruments really feel like foundational somehow to me you know what I mean it's just like it's 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 very grounding and then it's a very open sound because the only other um, kind of thing we hear is is the singers right and those are much higher so it's like there's a lot of distance there's a lot of distance and it's a really interesting sort of texture yeah, I was surprised by how like well the trombone and tabla really seemed to like mesh with each other, especially as the trombone players started really like showing off their their chops there and getting a little more rhythmic and flexing those those super casual like multiphonics. They're just kind of like doing those and those are those were hard. But I think something I wanted to to ask you guys or maybe have a discussion about was um it seems like there's you know, of, of all the different musical cultures of the world, it seems like there's particular interest in Indian music, Indian uh, traditional or classical music, or whatever you want to call it, Indian raga, and especially um, attempting to fuse it or, or juxtapose it with other musics. I know for me, in high school, someone showed me this uh, YouTube video of this group called India, India Lucia, and they combine a jazz pianist with a flamenco guitarist and an indian tabla player as well as i think another spanish uh percussionist what's that instrument it's like the wooden box that they sit on and they tap with their hands the oh fuck what is this called it's not just called the cajon is it is it just the cajon it might just be the cajon i think it might be but anyway so that was like the first like whoa big world musical culture fusion thing that i saw and i was like totally blown away by it by it it was a really cool group but what do you guys think about like kind of indian music in the world kind of yeah well um what was what was that festival called in miami robbie we had it every year and Uh, it was it was hosted you know in part by his name is shrini uh but an indian man who would come over and you know wanted to like blend his culture with you know western classical music and create uh, a blending of the two mediums and and really try and make something new. And it was like one of the biggest productions we did every year at our undergrad. And I, for the life of me, I can't remember what I, we called this program, but I it cannot, happened every year. I want to say diverse worlds of but, music, but that was the world music class we had to take. Wait, you guys had one of those <laughs> too? Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, that's you know, you know, when did, I guess we have to go back to when did this start? I, I think the first... Um, thing I can think of is, you know, when the Beatles really started to fuse their music with different cultural um, sounds and instruments, and sitar, of course, was one of them, yeah, um, famously. And I don't know how much of that happened before that, but ever since then, you know, I'd say bringing Indian music into Western music has been a very big thing. I mean, I remember in high school, we had like a sitar player, like a world famous sitar player come and give a master class. That's dope. Um, yeah, no, and it was it was very enlightening and eye-opening to see. And he talked a little bit about how 
much work he gets in the West, you know, blending his sound with, you know, bands that want to work with that kind of instrument and that kind of um, Indian tonality, because of course they have, uh, they're not on the same scale as us, right? You know, it's not like they just have an eight note scale or a 12 note, you know, chromatic scale. They have, help me out, Matt, what's the word for smaller? Microtones. Microtones. There we go. Yeah. Micro, smaller. Um <laughs> But I, I can't remember exactly how many how many notes are in their scales. But I think I think a rough a rough estimate is like generally agreed upon twenty four because it's 24. double double okay. the uh, the Western twelve split yeah. of the octave. But the problem is like if you think permutation wise, that ends up being like over five hundred different scales or rogs, right? Because like yeah. if you access the twenty four different pitches, and they don't necessarily need to be symmetrical going up and down. Yeah, I mean I learned about indian raga like just a tiny little bit in like a world music class in high school it just so happened that my our teacher was this new hire at the high school maybe his first or second year teaching and he was like a very avid musicologist uh very interested in musics of the world so it was cool but i yeah i was thinking the same thing i was wondering i feel like the western culture craze of of like studying indian music probably started around the time of the Beatles. Because I'm also thinking Philip Glass did a lot of stuff with Ravi Shankar, and he wrote music that was very influenced by Raga and, like, blending his minimalist style with, like, the, I guess, Indian musical aesthetic. And I, I think incorporating sitar and tabla into his compositions at a certain point. Uh, Ravi, I'm curious, what do you think? And also, like, what kind of activity this is seen in, like, the jazz world, too, right? Uh, well, yeah, certainly in much a similar way, there have been uh, a lot of jazz musicians that have incorporated elements of Indian music, uh, or really all musics uh, uh, of, um, you know, uh, the world. It's, it's sort of been finding its way into jazz. And I think, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a musicologist or anything, but I think it, a, a lot of it to me seems like the, the tabla and the sitar especially are such, they have such a unique sound. They have such such a, a kind of timbre, just uh, you know, that we don't really have in a lot of our Western uh, kinds of classical music and, and our instruments. There, it's just sort of its own. Uh, it's like a whole new color, you know, uh, off the palette. And I think something like the tabla, especially, has found a lot of use in jazz. I know Chris Potter had a trio that I saw sometime that had the tabla player and a bass player, and it was really it was really fucking good. It was great because the tabla just allows so much. I'm, I'm repeating myself now saying color, but there's just a lot of different sort of parts of the instrument, lots of different sorts of tones you can get that are really, really flexible. I think for both the sitar and the and the tabla and a lot of these um, uh, these Indian musical concepts, I, I, I think from what I've heard, they fit very well. Or, or it's, it's, it's uh, something, especially in terms of improvisational music like jazz, that is much in the same spirit a lot of the time and is something that can be easily uh, sort of uh, added together. Of course, people like Alice Coltrane, you know, did a lot of, a lot of stuff with that, lots of really famous uh, collaborations there, but um, that's sort of my, my thoughts on it. Yeah, I'm glad you said, like, the spirit of improvisation because I understand that, like, a certain extent of Indian classical music is... Uh, it's not as free necessarily as some systems of jazz, but there's also like a very big spirit and tradition of improv in uh, the musical culture. And if I just had to take a guess, and like this is my my two cents like theory, I think another reason why like Western 
musicians are so in love and interested in like, you know, why Indian music of all the different musics of the world, there's tons of different musical cultures and systems. I think for some reason, uh, Western musicians can see a lot of parallels. It's very easy for us to kind of say like, it's similar. It's, it's like what we uh, know already. And I think the other thing is that Indian music just seems to have such a complex system like the the system of of syllables of, of syllables for kind of like rhythmically speaking the syllables i don't know if you guys have seen that oh, yeah, um man. they have i think a, an, an equivalent of like solfege when they're singing their their yep. scales or their rags and uh like the way that ensembles are organized i think a lot of people like that and then of course yeah the fact that like a sitar is like a cousin with extra uh, synthetic vibrating strings to like the guitar so guitarists became very interested in that but that's my theory basically on like why indian music you know it's been a long time since high school and i don't exactly remember you know the fine details of the discussion this guitar player had with us but his musical training started from a very very young age you know our best violin prodigies in the west started you know it's not uncommon to see them start at two and three years old and for him it was very much the same thing and it was very rigorous and uh from what i remember and from what i gather it's pretty much all he did growing up like that was his job was to learn to play these instruments um and yeah learn their version of solfege and the process I recall it, it seemed pretty brutal. It was not exactly a, a fun process for this man, even though he became a master of the craft. You know, I think they take because... it very, very seriously. And it's so complex. Yeah, I think it's because also it's a much more uh, emphasis on oral tradition and like yeah. memorization. Like, yeah. dude, I don't know. Every time I see the videos of people just speaking out rhythmic cycles, like by memory, and you see them just like clapping. I'm blown away because it's all up here and you can see them. Yeah. They just pull it out at like the dime of a hat or the drop of the hat. Um, I forget Ra Robbie. Who's the name of the tabla player who always worked with, um, with Ravi Shankar. Cause I watched the videos of oh, him and his son uh, where they're just like talking through rhythmic cycles together. And it's insane. I can't remember. Oh man. Hold on. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think it's really just because I think the West sees like, Hey, that's another system of music theory. Right. Like we're such nerdy musicians because we're all like, look, we have music theory to support our awesome like music tradition, and we see another one where we're just like, we have to dig into this too and like see all the comparisons, right? Yeah, it's a cool find though, Matt. Yeah, it's. Um, I look forward to listening to to this later. Yeah, I was listening to some of the other the rest of the album, and like it's it's a cool um, set list. I just wonder what it was like for those people who saw it live, right? Oh, I'm sure it was a crazy experience. Right. Yeah. I think for a lot of this, especially this these longer tracks, some of the impact is lost, you know. Well, I guess it's always better to hear it live, but I think especially for something like yeah. this. By the way, that the tabla player, Ala Raka. Thank you. Yeah. But should we right. uh should we move on to the other tracks? Yeah, I think so. Robbie, you're up next. <laughs> okay. My track is from uh the band called The Escape. From their album is nothing sacred and the track is called desolation so let's take a listen to this eric
Hey, Robbie, I want to skip ahead a little bit just so we can get some of the vocals in there. Escape were uh, a British new wave band from Bristol that uh, kind of formed in 1981 and broke up uh, shortly later. I think it was 1984, the group split. And then uh, after that group broke up, many of the members, uh, especially, let's see, um, Alan Griffith and uh, Stuart Morgan, they went uh, on to work with the band Tears for Fears. It, it says here that after they broke up, they, they played on the tour, the Big Chair World Tour in 1985 with Tears for Fears. And then, uh, you know, also had some jobs in the music industry like their bassist or Stuart Morgan went on to become a bass tech for U2. So kind of a, a new wave band, in, you know, in the time of Devo, Devo and Dexy's Midnight Runners, sort of that, that kind of sound. And I think what charmed me about that well i think charmed is the the word i want to use for this because there's and we'll get into it a little bit and, and maybe you got the impression from listening it's maybe not the the cleanest sort of uh recording there's something about it that's um that to me really calls to mind like a house show or being in somebody's fucking basement or garage and listening to them play when everyone's drunk at 12 30 in the morning uh Tempos are a little sort of fluctuating, we talked a little bit about, but I think there's just something about the whole package that uh, is, like I said, is very charming for me. Yeah, um, so I think what got me is the opening surprises me. I know the opening surprised me on the last one too, but this one did as well, um, because we open with these, you know, soft wind noises, right? Kind of spooky wind noises, and then we have this driving bass line with a you know with the good not guitar but drums accompanying and then the guitar comes in and it seems a little out of place for me i'm not sure if it's the tessitura they picked you know the, the part of the instrument they picked it just seems a little high and it doesn't seem to fit the mood that they set up in the first 20 seconds i'm not exactly sure where the guitar enters but like I really, really like the vibe of the opening, and then the guitar comes in and it it changes it a little bit for me. Okay, I have a theory, Eric. Now that I've right. listened to it like two or three times, um, I think so. That guitar is obviously very processed, very filtered, definitely right. going through an effect pedal of some kind. If I had yeah. to guess, it I I could be totally wrong, but it sounds kind of like some kind of um. There's some kind of flanger or flanger effect maybe going on here. And I feel like that might be impacting the attack of the guitar. So maybe we're getting one of those cases where the guy strums and like, you know, half a second later, the sound comes out because it's a flanger. Because that's, that's what, what it's sounding I was saying, like. Yeah, I was thinking that it's just, it, it always sounds just a little behind. Yeah. It sounds like it's dragging a little bit. But we talked about like that, that, that potential uh, issue is not aided by, um, yeah, like how on the beat the bass and the the drums are, right? Like I, I mentioned, it seemed like an odd choice to me. That I don't know. It reminds me of um the blast beat, but like obviously a lot slower. The the snare drum is on the downbeat, and usually you don't hear snare on every downbeat. Maybe you only hear it on beats two and four. 
but you definitely are more used to just associating the kick with the downbeats, right? And the snare being on the downbeat, just unfortunately for me, it really emphasizes any kind of uh, discrepancies with downbeat, like unity and beat unity. And I like how, Robbie, you compared this to a house show, because it definitely now reminds me of something like that. That, And I think the word that you were maybe, to use your own words from season one of the show, you were very interested in the word gritty or grimy sometimes ah, referring. Good throwback, referring good throwback. Yeah, that's a that's a, a continuity uh, throwback for our, our diehard fans. But uh, the word I was gonna say was maybe more just raw. This this has yeah. a very raw sound, and I mean, again, I I said it earlier. It just sounds like there's no quantizing on this. The the beats sometimes disagree with each other, and then sometimes uh, speeds up and slows down, and it does give that very live effect to mm -hmm. the uh, the sound. Right, and I think there's something about the I don't know, as a whole package, right, the the track Desolation. And I think, uh, like Eric says, I really like the beginning. I like first 20 seconds, I think, real strong. I like the wind. I like the bass line. I, I really like the bass line, actually. I think it's a cool, cool little uh, hook there. And I think co combining that then later with the guitar part and then the singer and the sort of, like, melting voice, a person that sounds like they're melting when they're singing it, it's this very... I don't know. It makes this very desolate package, maybe, to me. And uh, I think I, I, I enjoyed it on that level. Yeah, I think melting's a good word there. I was trying to think of how you would describe the singer's voice. Um, I think you hear a lot of people in the 80s especially kind of sing with that with that style, but melting... No, I wanted to also touch on the, the singing. Because, yeah, there's something very dated immediately about like this whole sound. I mean, we all mentioned it was from the 80s, and we could tell that just from listening. The, the 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 voice uh, it's melting is a good word almost like droopy the ends of the yeah. pitches are droopy right and that just seemed to be like a style a big style of singing at the time i would guess it's uh, the sound a lot of us can associate with um kurt cobain in nirvana it's almost like you just can't be bothered to hold on to the pitch of the the note you know like the singer can't be bothered i think right. that's a fair comparison yeah. yeah it does give this very relaxed kind of uh, energy to it, right? This very sort of unconcerned. Yeah. The pitch just okay, kind of yeah. gives way to talking almost. Like there's pitch at the first half of the, the syllable or the word and it almost blends into more of a casual speech and and maybe the lines even reflect more of just speech patterns instead of, you know, strict melodic kind of strict ideas. And sure. this is this is a super nerdy thing, but that, that fake wind sound, the first time I was just like, what, is the track just like not starting or something? But even the fake wind sound, I was like, uh, what is that from? I think the title screen for Mega Man 2 has, has like, the same wind sound. <laughs> it's like it's like almost exactly the same. Whatever they were using to create that wind sound, however they like messed with this, the noise channel on the synth, it reminds me so much of, like I think, the opening title screen to Mega Man 2. He's like standing on top of a building or oh, something. Oh, yeah. Is that where it, like, it, it zooms up the building? Yeah, his yeah. Hand. And then Mega Man's up there with like no helmet on. And and like you can see, he has hair for some reason. Oh fuck! But, of course, of course, yeah. he has hair. You would give that a robot Mega hair. Man. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. You assume that the helmet can't come off, like cyborg. Yeah, like it's just true. part of his head. But then uh, again, we talk like about a big Mega Man a lot on this show. We do. <laughs> Did anyone see? I've been trying to think about where I've heard the wind sound before too. Like what major thing? Anyone see the Daft Punk epilogue video they put out this week? 
Oh no, I didn't. What? I I'm I think in that video they use a, the same kind of like wind sound. Wait. Um, but yeah, Daft Punk officially announced that they were splitting this week. Yeah, you didn't hear after, about this, Matt? No, after, I only saw memes about it, so I was really confused. Yeah. <laughs> after eight years of not releasing an album, they decided, yeah, we're still not going to release an album, but this time forever. Um, they took wow. off the helmet and they had hair under there, just like our hero Mega Man. <laughs> okay, no, so I saw a meme. It was like two very shiny chrome uh, hand dryers for like in a bathroom, and they were mounted to the wall as hand dryers are. And it was just a picture of the the, the chrome hair dryers or hand dryers. And it just said, like, uh, something about, like, can't believe Daft Punk split up. And I was like, what? Like, Yeah, no, they're, they're, yeah, they're done. done. Wow. That's... Oh, fuck, what a good band. Daft Punk is so good. It's... I just remember... No, go ahead, Eric. No, I was just going to say, it just makes me wonder, like, you know, they haven't released anything for eight years. So I wonder if they had been on course to maybe like try and do something these last couple years and then COVID hit and they were just like, all right, now nah, we're just gonna, yeah, we're just gonna be done, I guess. Is Get Lucky the last thing? Or no. They did some stuff with The Weeknd, um, but that's been their most re- recent stuff. So you guys are gonna really hate me for this, but I remember how I first was exposed to like the music of Daft Punk yeah. and it's okay. really bizarre. For some reason... Do you guys remember like uh all those those before YouTube like flash player websites? Oh yeah. Yeah. Where they just I don't remember which one it was from, but it was called Titanium Rhapsody. And it was a shot by shot recreation of the Bohemian Rhapsody music video using Mega Man sprites. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm not joking. And I, I can't find it anymore. It's a shot someone shot by shot did a flash player recreation of the music video for Bohemian Rhapsody, but with like the classic Mega Man sprites and like they're playing instruments. That's like that's like a Newgrounds thing. I think it was like on Newgrounds or something. But yeah. like you know, um, I remember Proto Man was playing the guitar. Mega Man <laughs> is Freddie Mercury, and of course, bass is playing the bass. You just had to do oh, it. Yeah. And oh, I man. didn't I didn't know what it was, and it was just on Flash Player, so like it didn't have the song credits or anything because I was like. I want to say like 10 or something. And I was like, this song is really good. And then that same person made another one, a shot by shot recreation of harder, better, faster, stronger using Mega Man sprites. And it was like, that was the only way I knew Daft Punk. So now I, for some reason, associate Daft Punk with Mega Man. <laughs> I think they would like that. They would appreciate that. I think they would, but it's like this weird thing I've, for me. I think I've seen it. I think I just found it actually. If you don't tell me it's just on YouTube now, but anyway, so that's my weird association of Mega Man and Daft Punk. I don't know, that's just it. Uh, Eric, do yeah, you want to take us funny. into the, to the last track? Yeah, let's go into the last track. So, I could not find out anything about this band. It's you know, occasionally we get these bands where there's just nothing, they're ghosts, they're the Forgotify ghosts special in the system. Yeah, Forgotify special, exactly, Matt. So, we are about to listen to. The band Inside and Dash Side on their album Pills, and we will be listening to the track Peace Will Come Again.
Okay. Um, so the first time I heard this, the opening for some reason, actually, I, I know why. It's the baseline. Something about the baseline gives me like really hardcore Linkin Park vibes. Um, and it's immediately what it made me think of, probably with the drums as well. It sounds kind of like 2009, so that makes sense since that's around the same time. Robbie made a good observation. I was pretty sure going into this that the, the vocalist was French based on the accent. And Robbie told me to look at the publication company and it is from France. So this was probably a French band. Um, in which case, it's kind of interesting that they're singing in English. So I wonder what their demographic or target market was. I feel like that happens a lot, though. why they chose to do that. With, with, I mean, with Euro, you know, Euro pop bands or, or European bands, you know, singing English or, or at least I have parts of in, song. Yeah, singing in English is just a pop music trend. I mean, I, I, technically, America was the birthplace of pop music, so. Yeah, but actually, you know, I'm not going to say anything. I'd like to listen to the rest of the album and maybe, and just see if they, if they kind of go in and out or if the whole album is in english you know Matt, like, it, because it's, usually it's not it's not uncommon you're right it's not uncommon to hear a band that's a foreign band that doesn't speak english as their native language to use english in their songs but i feel like it, it is kind of rare to hear them only do english in that scenario like it's usually some kind of mix huh. i guess i don't know i would have to i'd have to think about it because i feel like there are well for example like abba right you know with Swedish, right? And they're all, I think it's almost, or all of them, or at least it, all the ones that I know are all in English, right? What's the, there was a band that I was thinking of too, something Lucia, like Sun Lucia or whatever. And I knew they were from like Portugal, Portugal, and they sang all in English. Anyway, um, I'm also being led to believe like, look at that, San Andreas Fault as a title. Hmm. Like all the yeah. titles are in English. San Andreas Fault, that's like a place in the US, obviously. I, I just kind of wonder, like, um, but anyway, aside from the, the language of this, I had a question for you fellas, and I didn't bring this up during the, the, the pre-podcast briefing. So if we're talking about how kind of um, the last track was really rough around the edges and, and, and had this kind of off-kilter sound to it, do you guys think that these are real instruments? Uh, hold on. Play it again, Eric. Play at the top. When we're yeah, talking. right yeah, from the top. All right. You know what? Just from that, that, that drum entrance was where I thought about it. When I heard the drum do a, like a perfect crescendo on completely uniform floor tom and even the bass articulations i think the guitar is like the only real instrument i think the rest might be um like uh vsts or or samples that's they might be but i think it could also be a case that we're listening to some like ribbon microphones where the sound like it's not uncommon to put ribbon microphones from what i understand i'm no you know audio engineer um on certain parts of drum kits to round out the sound and to my ears along with you know some digital eq 
I think it can really kind of make it sound almost fake in terms of like how round and kind of perfect the sound is, but maybe I'm totally off the mark and it is a digital sample. But it could be another possibility. Well, and there's, it, it is sort of hard to say, you know, and I'm not an audio engineer or an electronic music guy really either, but there, there is just something about the, I don't know, the, the, the perfection of the kinds of sounds or something about the quality of, of the sound that does, now that you mention it, kind of sound virtual in some ways. And I think especially the bass, maybe. Something yeah. about the bass really sounds like... I, and there's nothing really wrong think with it that. Just, yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with it. I really think there's a good chance it's just been EQ'd like, to hell. Like, it's yeah. just totally smoothed over and they probably recorded and pieced it together and like really made sure everything was perfect. Scrubbed spotless. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say... I don't know why the the drums just kind of struck me as like they sound fake and if you're going to fake anything it's usually drums but um if if we're going to say the last track was like very unfiltered then this one I would say is almost it's like too much in the opposite direction for me personally it just it seemed scrubbed sterile and like like a lot really got kind of like lost in the process or removed I, I, over over uh what's the word i'm looking for overproduced overproduced yeah something like that yeah i i i definitely hear where you're coming from do you do you guys remember the band dragon force oh yeah when we were in high school right (laughs) it's like huge huge, guitar hero do you guys yeah do you guys remember their nickname what's that their nickname was studio force because anyone who heard them live like never wanted to hear them again like I they do. could not play any of their songs live because like they got into the studio and you know re-recorded every other measure and like EQ'd it all to hell and like made it sound perfect when they just couldn't play it, you know. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't I don't know how I didn't know that nickname given that I was in a freaking power metal band and like if you think power metal, it's literally just Dragon Force. But I do remember um, people in that scene saying like, oh yeah, no, they're not great live. You should really like watch a live performance of this band if you want like like Power Glove or someone else, if you want like a, a good example of live power metal. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like I, and you know, this is around that same time. So the idea of having a really sterile, but I guess, technically perfect performance could be, you know, part of just the sound of the music of the time. Maybe not, you know. This is a dumb thing, but Eric, I really want to know, how did you just immediately, what a weird call for the French accent. I had, I wouldn't have guessed French. I don't know. Um, Hang on. Let's, real quick, let's just listen to where it comes in. (laughs) There is something, something about one of the syllables and I have to try and remember what it was. This is where I've got to go. This is what I've got to show. This will come again, and this is what I have to do so well. I think it's partially the S's, and it's partially the way he says what. There's there's almost a nasal quality to a lot of it, which seems a little stereotypical French, but that's that's what it was and it's also the s is just something about the way he turns them into z's almost 
mm. seemed very French to me. Okay. These, you know, like Zootamolars. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> it's not like he's starting the the. There's a recurring th in this. This is how. This is blah blah blah. Yeah. This. It's not like he's going like zis, like a really stupid French accent. So I was like, what is Eric? How did what what clued him in? It, like I think it was just the N, like the Z, the Z sound, uh, because that is like a French kind of thing. And it's consistent. Every time he has an S, it turns into a Z. I saw this, uh, Robbie, you just reminded me. <laughs> I saw this really funny TikTok of like pronouncing Pokemon names with uh, a French guy pronouncing the English names of Pokemon. Um, because Pokemon have different names in each country, which is weird. But it makes sense. The puns don't work in other languages, about. right? Yeah. yeah. So some of the ones that he said that were really funny, and like me and me and uh, my girlfriend have just been like saying them to each other for no reason because they're so stupid sounding. Uh, Blastoise, if you pronounce it like a French word, is Blastois. <laughs> <laughs> Aww, Blastois. And, uh, my my favorite one is is Do you guys remember Gardevoir, the psychic tank? Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Try saying that with a. That's like a word that is made to be said in French. Just try it real quick. Oh, I don't Gardevoir. know. Gardevoir. Gardevoir. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful language. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy on TikTok just—he's just saying Pokemon yeah. words uh, in a French accent. It's great. You got to find your niche online. You know yeah. that's what that's it's all it. about. It, wait, is Pikachu not called Pikachu in France? I think Pikachu's the Pikachu and one other uh one one of the other original 150 are the only ones that keep their Japanese name like no matter what region they're in. Mm. That makes sense because yeah. I was going to say it'd be weird. I feel like Pikachu is like at least Pikachu's the one where it's like that's everybody knows that guy. Pikachu. Pikachu. <laughs> you gotta get, yeah, you've got to get the CH in there. <laughs> Mon do Pikachu! <laughs> Team Rocket! They're here! I don't know enough French to do this bit. Eric, help me out! I don't um, know any French. Sacre bleu Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, for your bravery, I award you the croissant badge. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the other uh, Japanese Pokemon name, but it's escaping me right now. Oh, it might have been Raichu. I think it's Pikachu and Raichu because Rai is the uh, Chu is the word for mouse, and Rai is um, I thunder? think it has something to do with lightning or thunder. So it might have just been them. Oh, like, I think you're right. Like yeah. Raiden from Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or um, remember when you guys found out that Ekans and Arbok are snake and cobra backwards? Oh, that's good. <laughs> uh... What a classic fun a good way just turn it backwards yeah uh, people do that in jazz all the time chorus silver wrote a tune called ikaro which is just chorus backwards okay i never and oh ergent the sunny rollins tune is nigeria backwards my favorite is um alucard you guys know that one that, that's another classic one Ali card dracula dracula yeah Oh right, yeah. Yeah, I think Castlevania did that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um I can't remember what else I was going to say about pills. Um uh, sorry, that's the album name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I got 
got one else, one other little aside about this. There have to be like a ton of other bands that are just called Inside in like some way, shape, or form. There were there were a ton of yeah. other bands, and I found details about all of them except this one. So that's don't it always seem know? to go, Eric? It's a thirty-six minute, ten-song album, and the world doesn't know it exists. They do now. We do until now. Yeah. Until now. Until now. Fucking season two, everybody. Here we go. That was like um, yeah. in in high school, there were way too many pop punk bands on Long Island, and there were like at least twenty that were called like the B side or the B sides or B side or something like that. You of know what course. I mean? That yeah. one, and yeah. I remember uh, everyone thought they were really clever for thinking of this one. Uh, batteries not included, or something like that. Mm. Yep. It's like all those those kinds of names for some reason. The B. Uh, I want to make a band called the B side, but it's our thing is like the front half of us is painted like yellow and black, black and, and the, yellow. Yeah. This is the, <laughs> the front part's the B side, and the back part's just regular. Oh, like B E E. Yeah. There's yeah, there's a joke yeah. that nobody asked for, Robbie. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all week, season two. That's my new thing. Or maybe we don't paint ourselves black and yellow, but every time we turn around, we have like a. St- like a stinger a stinger oh like, that's our b-side you know, like... <laughs> yeah it's our b-side our B. yeah yeah don't get too close <laughs> i'll die but it'll be worth it <laughs> yeah b jokes this is a joke no one asked for all right uh, you made the you um, made the bug bed joke okay eric that's so true. Like, you know it wasn't a joke it was an advertisement <laughs> And I've made millions, let me tell you. You guys <laughs> missed the boat. What are we getting more ad reads, Eric? I missed that from season one. Yeah, yeah maybe they'll make a return for season two. Ah, fuck. We'll you see. gotta make like a knockoff version of um, Blue Blue Apron. The, the, the Are they the ones that deliver food oh. to your house? That's not yes. cooked yet? Yeah, yeah, Blue yeah. Apron's one of them. There's a few of them now. Yeah, make, make uh, like a bad one of those. Yeah. You could call it... Could be called like Green Poncho or something. There you go. <laughs> red scarf I'll think about it yeah no it's got to be a cooking um thing scarfs and ponchos have nothing to do with the kitchen uh red uh, well, red maybe not your kitchen maybe, yeah but i you... use a poncho regularly <laughs> for all the wet and wild stunts i'm fucking pulling off in there gotta stay out of the splash zone it's mostly the <laughs> it's mostly to keep the oil off my clothes but sure <laughs> i'm gonna flip all these eggs yeah, oven mitts. Yeah, that's not bad. It's not bad. I'll think about it. I'll consider your proposition, Matt. <laughs> this has been the we'll new see. part of, of our podcast where we workshop jokes we might tell in the future. <laughs> Stay tuned. <Yeah>. Keep an <laughs> ear out. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's that part of the podcast where we tell everyone what we've been listening to this week. I'll like take it first? away first. Well, something I do want to mention that happened in the past two weeks since we have been sort of on our hiatus. Uh, great legendary jazz pianist Chick Corea unfortunately passed away just either recently last week or the or the week before. Uh, I think I don't remember quite what he he died from. He was in his seventies, um, but very sad, very sad. Certainly, Chick Corea is one of the you know one of the giants of jazz and, and especially for keyboard or, or, or piano players uh he's just you know an important figure for us um so for and he just recently released a really phenomenal album before he passed um chick Corea, just called plays 
and it's a solo album. It's got his arrangements of, of you know standards, his own compositions, some classical music. Really great, really a, a, a nice capstone to a recording career, I think. Um, so take a listen to that one, Chikoria Plays. Absolutely. Yeah. I got that news when I was sitting in the car for that. Remember that last minute COVID test that I had to do? Mm. Oh yeah. right. I got that news and I was just sitting there waiting for the, the the test and like I was like, are you kidding me? At least he didn't. It's dumb to say, but it's like at least he didn't die of COVID. You know, I feel like for the last year when I've been hearing about like major uh, influential figures who have died, when I when I read the cause of death, I'm like, okay, at least it wasn't COVID. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, there's just something so horrific about dying to something. Um you know, that ultimately could have been prevented and, you know, has taken too many lives. Uh, I mean, he was way, too, way before their times. He was like in his 70s, right? You said, Robbie? Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was, he was older. Yeah. I just remember for me, like my favorite thing of Chikoria was, uh, there's this recording of him talking about practicing and he's just practicing the first, uh, Goldberg variation. Oh, and I think I've seen, yeah. Yeah. It's just like such a great there's something really nice and like it's it's vulnerable and like he's so casual about it. he's like i didn't i didn't quite get that right you know what i mean right even even like chicory is picking apart his own technique where he's like i didn't i didn't do that quite right and he's just like trying it a few times it's like it's just so great i don't know and yeah it's got that boston accent too it's just yeah. so fun to listen to him talk yeah there's just something so so warm and so casual and friendly <laughs> about him and his music well, yeah, he's a, he was a great artist, really worth listening to. And now he sings, now he sobs. It's another good album that's kind of a, much earlier that I really love. So listen to some Chick Corea. Yeah, I guess in the spirit of that, I was listening to um, the Chick Corea and Bobby McFerrin live performance of Spain. Oh, those are good. That went, That's just like crazy. Bobby McFerrin improving with like anyone is always crazy. To, and I love in that video, uh, Chick Corea is just playing. And Bobby McFerrin is doing like a rhythm section with the microphone, like just himself. And you can just see Chikoria, like he looks over his shoulder and he's got this like big happy smile because yeah. someone wrote in the comment section, like, you know, Chikoria is smiling like that because Bobby McFerrin was probably one of the best rhythm sections alone that like he's ever played with in his right. career. No, sure. You know? Bobby McFerrin also like a giant genius. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I listened to some, uh, clarinet arrangements of oh, Korea. What? What? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. Like this, what? Like after, uh, you know, <laughs> who can, who could have guessed? Uh, this is the clarinet no, There's some really phenomenal. <laughs> I just saw really the, I saw phenomenal. the gears turning and I saw, you were trying to hide it behind your hand, the shit eating grin. And I was like, here it comes. Yeah. Doesn't Martin Frost have a, <laughs> I mean, uh... <laughs> Armando's yeah, room. no, I mean, there's some really, really phenomenal Chikoria uh, clarinet arrangements out there that, um, you know, I gave, I spent some time listening to this this past week. But yeah, it's just, it is sad. It's sad to see a giant like that pass away. Um, and I've also been listening to some Schubert sonatas, violin sonatas. Those are they like have... the things you don't really think about too much. Schubert's other stuff. Right? Yeah. Well... Do they have like lots of repeats? I know the piano sonatas are like infamous, where you, you they're long and you repeat sections a lot. There, are, yeah, there are some repeats. I've mainly been listening to them because I want to see if one of them can fit on clarinet, and I think I found one that can. Yeah, but 
there's a few places where you probably want to want to cut a repeat. I think Schubert's just pretty guilty of that, like across his his entire um, output, because people uh, for composers, it's weird. Like we composers study other composers, right? And that raises that brings to mind like, or that raises the question of like, okay, who are the composers we don't study and why? So like, composers will kind of study Tchaikovsky, but they won't study Rachmaninoff, or they'll like hmm. study Stravinsky, but they won't really study Prokofiev as much. Um, why is that? And yeah, I think it's it's something about like the, I have this theory of um, innovators versus maximizers. And I'm borrowing it heavily from something that a music history professor said to me in undergrad. But he said um, the big names from each like historical epoch or epoch or whatever you say it, uh, you can roughly categorize composers into innovators and maximizers. He said that Mahler was definitely a maximizer. Like Mahler pushed the romantic uh, style to like its, its brinks. And he said Bruckner is also definitely a maximizer. And Bach, in his opinion, is mostly a maximizer because he represents like the max of like the Baroque idiom. And I think he even said Mozart's a maximizer. And he said that performers like maximizers and composers like innovators. Oh. And Schubert is definitely a maximizer because I remember someone said, Schubert's symphonies are just the songs uh, without, like... Without words. Oh, sorry. I, I skipped again. He's, someone said, like, Schubert's symphonies are just like his songs. Theme, 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 over and over again. Hmm. That's fair. But it is kind of a cool theory for the, the, the composers, like maximizers and innovators. I think about that a lot. Yeah, I think that's... That is interesting. You... I think you... No, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, no I, was I was just gonna say I think that's good. Yeah, and we do, we did, we fucking false started like three times. We're on the same wavelength, Eric. We're just too in sync. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. someone like Beethoven, then an innovator. Yeah. Compare because yeah. I think I've had I, someone has talked to me in terms of Mo specifically Mozart and Beethoven. Like Mozart crystallized the fucking classical form. Beethoven was like the innovator. But I I, I think that's that's really interesting to sort of look at that throughout you know the histories yeah i really like it because it explains like you know performers play these people composers like these people but like there's not always a lot of in, uh, overlap and the composers who i think stand out to everyone the That's most true. are the ones that are liked by both who would you mm -hmm. what are some examples of that who would you say um i think beethoven does work as an example of both because the reason why we think of him as the innovator is he's classically, you know, every music history teacher says Beethoven represents the transition between the classical period to the romantic period. And like it happens right in the middle of his career. But that also means that that means he, he, he kind of had to like fully absorb the classical idiom before transforming it into the, the his, his romantic style later on. Right. Um, and it's kind of weird to think that Mozart does represent like the maximum but he is. He's, he's like the the most distilled, you know, optimal the refinement. Yeah, yeah, classical music. And then you get people like you know Schoenberg, who represents not only innovator but like rebel. Um, yeah. I, I would say most of the twentieth century is is innovators. But Debussy, Debussy is a great example of both, right? 
okay. he's an he's an innovator because of like how idiomatic to his own style he is but he's a maximizer because like he maximized it and pianists love that i mean you would know pianists eat that shit up for breakfast but... we do we can't get enough of it and i think ravel is another really good example of that because if ravel is like a precursor to Debussy, then it's definitely a case of innovator and maximizer because of like how good the piano repertoire is you know would you say that like 4a then is a maximizer yeah yeah i, I kind of think so because that's like if you go all the way down the rabbit hole of like french uh romanticism it kind of yeah. ends at 4a for me before it moves on to like new stuff yeah oh that's really interesting i'm gonna be thinking about this all week like yeah yeah and credit that to um, Michael Markham and Jim Davis at Fredonia University. They were the ones that said it to me first. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Thanks. They're going to be think... reoccurring characters on this season, too. They would be amazing guests. I think Michael Markham is also a Peabody alumni, by the way. <laughs> what? Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went to Peabody for guitar. Uh, Dr. On was like, wait, you took music history with Michael? Michael took my class with me here. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. I think that's uh, that's it for this week. Robbie, you want to do our outro? Yes. Season two outro, everyone. Same as season one outro. If you like the show, thank you for listening. Please rate and review wherever you are listening to your podcast. Apple, Spotify, all those places. Really helps us out. You can also connect with us on Twitter at Drop Haystack and on Facebook and Instagram at Drop the Needle in the Haystack. Eric? All right, Matt, can you do our famous sign-off? What? It's Wait. season two, Robbie. <laughs> Things gotta change. Oh, there's a plot twist at the end. Gotta change! <laughs> oh, cliffhanger! I'll just cut it here, and there'll be nothing, and we'll have to start next episode. Like wait, wait, wait. I don't know exactly how Eric says it, despite hearing it, like, every week. I don't know the exact... No, 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 you gotta, you gotta, you gotta figure it out. You're on the spot now. This is season two. All right, folks. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Three! Uh, four did out I, of ten. I...